Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to the first episode of Auschwitz podcast. My name is Alina Novobilska, and I'm the second half of the History Hack Duo podcasts, which you can find on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I've decided to start a new project with a fellow friend of mine, Mila Kopstabczyk, who's sitting right next to me. We've decided to talk about Auschwitz. But first of all, let's introduce my colleague sitting right next to me, Mirek. Hello, my name is Miroslav Obstarczyk. I'm historian and also I've been a guide at State Museum Auschwitz-Birkenau for nearly 30 years. So a man with experience. So Mirek, can you tell us what Auschwitz was? It's a simple question, but it's just a little bit more complicated than that, isn't it? Right, because Auschwitz, it is a little bit complication complication issue. Uh, its original German name was Konzentrationslager Auschwitz. It means concentration camp Auschwitz. And it was, first of all, it was the biggest Nazi German concentration camp. And it was biggest mass extermination of European Jews. Because of number of victims, number of prisoners, as well as the territorial size. The word Auschwitz is commonly known as a symbol of the Holocaust, but not many people are part of Poland knows about its first function, chronologically first function, because in fact about 85% of all victims of Auschwitz were Jewish people. However, before the forced transports of Jews were deported to Auschwitz, thousands of Poles, as well as Soviet prisoners of war and people of other nationalities, had perished already in the camp. Because establishment of Auschwitz it was a result of a policy of terror, which was unleashed by Nazi Germans in occupied Poland after Polish defeat in 1939. And Auschwitz was a camp only Auschwitz and, and, and Majdanek, another camp in Lublin, also located in Poland, they're the only Nazi camps which combined, combined in themselves functions of two kinds of colloquially called death camps, German death camps. Because Auschwitz, from the very beginning, since June 1940 till 19, uh, January 1945, was a concentration camp, camp of slow, indirect extermination. And since 1942, Auschwitz was a center of mass extermination of European Jews. Can you define for our listeners what indirect extermination is? You see, indirect extermination, generally we should remember that so-called concentration camp as an institution, it wasn't invented by Nazi Germans. But Nazi Germans in 1939 converted institution into camp which had extermination character because prisoners of the concentration camp were killed by various factors. 
they were dying slowly, day by day, week by week, killed by starvation, diseases, overwork, uh, means physical effort. They were killed in executions, they were killed because of the whole system of punishments, they were killed by camps terror. So we can say somebody was imprisoned the camp, he was automatically, we can say, sentenced to death because situation the camp, living conditions... Lagufu decided that somebody was imprisoned in the camp had to die a few days, uh, weeks or months after arrival to the camp. But of course, prisoner of the camp could fight for survival. He was he had a chance to fight for survival. And some of them really survived. Can I just mm. add something in here? Because we can talk about Karl Fritsch's speech here. When prisoners arrived into the concentration camp, they were given a speech by Karl Fritsch that stated that everybody had three mo- the chance of three months to live. Mm-hmm. Pris- uh, priests, a month, and Jews, only two weeks. And some of these people managed to survive. As you said, they had a chance. They managed to survive five years, from the first transport, five years. Yes. It's an incredibly long time. But you see, uh, this speech gave us information what was the character of the camp and, and goal of, of, of the camp, main goal. We should remember that everybody who was imprisoned in the camp was forced to work. But we, also, we should also remember that effects of the prison's work, it was, we can say, only byproduct of the main function of the camps, especially to the end of 1942, when the situation of front lines was changed already, became bad for Nazi Germany. So tell us about the direct, ex- so we have the indirect extermination, the concentration camp function, and now we have direct extermination from 1942. It was extermination, mass extermination of European Jews. You see, yeah, since beginning 1942, thousands of Jewish people were deported by trains to Auschwitz to be killed immediately, instantly after arrival to the camp. Just on the spot, the Jews were killed as a huge anonymous, anonymous human mass. You see, at least 81% of all victims of Auschwitz, they never became prisoners and never registered in the camp's evidence. So this is a huge difference between so-called concentration camp and center of mass extermination. Auschwitz was like, you see, Dachau, Buchenwald, Sachsenhausen, Mauthausen, and Trebinka, Sobibor, Belzec put together. You see, two functions in one, in the frames of one institution. However, Auschwitz as a center of mass extermination of Jews was also a little bit different than other mass extermination uh, sites like uh, mentioned uh, Sobibor, Belzec, Treblinka, because a small percentage, an average 20-25% of Jews who were deported to Auschwitz finally became prisoners after the selection. So they were given chance to fight for survival. Okay, so let's... As the prisoners of the camp, of course. Oh, that's they true. were sentenced to death also the same like others, but they had chance. So let's go back to the beginning of this. Obviously, we had concentration camps in Germany, and we, we would love to cover all of that, but we don't have enough time in this. We're going to start the story of Auschwitz from the 23rd of August 1939, which was the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, wasn't it? Yes, it was, not and that pact decided about future of not only about the war, decided not only about the fact that war started in September 1939, but its consequences were very much more further because decided about future of Europe till the next 50 years. But you see, a day before this agreement, uh, Adolf Hitler delivered a famous speech to his generals in Obel Salzberg, in one of his headquarters, in which he said as follows, 
I have uh, prepared my skillheads troops with the order to kill without pity or mercy men, women and children of Polish race and Polish language. Only thus uh, we will uh, gain the living space which we need. You see, we should remember that Nazi Germans were fighting for living space. Living space. Living space for them was territory of Poland and European part of Soviet Union. For that, Nazis planned in future to expel about 85% of Poles out of Poland. Poland had to be colonized by Germans. For that, uh, after invasion of Poland, all institutions of Polish statement, cultural, uh, economical, um, uh, cultural, uh, were destroyed, of course, political. Poland is invaded on the 1st of September 1939 by Germany from the West, and 17 mm. days later by the Soviets from the East. Poland now becomes non existent. It stops existing on the map. Poland's heavily bombed, civilians are targeted, and mass executions begin. At this point, Poland is now carved up between the Soviets and the Germans. Parts of Poland, for example, the North and the West, are now incorporated into the Third Reich. For example, we have Katowice, Łódź, Poznań, and Oświęcim. The general government, which is in the East, is now part of the occupied Polish territories, which is governed by Hans Frank. Kraków becomes the capital. At this point, over 80,000 soldiers are evacuated, Polish soldiers are evacuated to France, and then later to Britain. Polish military troops are built up again in France, and then obviously after the invasion of France, they move on to Britain. This is actually a really interesting point, because when we talk about the first transports, the, specifically the Polish transports, we're going to be talking about men called tourists. These, that's what they were named by the Germans. They were men who were trying to cross through Slovakia into Hungary and Romania to join the Polish Free Army. We'll be touching on that a little bit later. But coming back to the invasion of Poland, where it all starts, the invasion was incredibly brutal and the terror, it was just instantaneous, wasn't it, Mirek? Yes, maybe before I answer you, I would, would like to add that Poland was only one country in Europe invaded by Germany who didn't capitulate. There was no any kind of uh, military or civil capitulation of Poland. It's very, very unique only situation occupied Europe so Polish people didn't give up they continue you see they formed Polish armed forces the west and inside the occupied country the resistance movement was so-called Polish underground state was, was created so uh, yes I going back to your question a few minutes before German troops attacked Polish military positions Ludwaffe bombed small town located on the border called Wieluń Wieluń was completely destroyed hundreds of in- its inhabitants were killed but what it was only one act of this kind of air terror because many other polish towns and maybe even villages were attacked by Luftwaffe. Warsaw was completely destroyed during three weeks of siege it was systematically bombed by artillery and Luftwaffe. Only during one day of siege of Warsaw about 10,000 people perished because of air raid. So the situation was very, very tragic. Ludwaffe attacked also the refugees uh, on the roads, the same like later it was in France. Uh, also Wehrmacht and SS killed many Polish and Jewish civilians, as well as, as, well as uh, prisoners of war. Can I yeah. make a note here, as, as you're uh, talking about some of the executions that happened, I'd like people, if they've got a spare moment, to go onto Google, type in Bydgoszcz, 1939 executions, and up will come a photograph 
of a group of men about to be executed. And this photo pretty much sums up the invasion of Poland. For me personally, there's already an execution happened, there are bodies laying in the background, and there's a group of men awaiting to be shot. And the man closest to the camera stands there and you can see the pain, you can see his fear, he is begging for his life. And it is incredibly, incredibly powerful. I'd highly recommend you all to go and have a look at this photograph. Yes, but it was only beginning. This photo which you mentioned about was taken on September 9, 1939. So nine days, nine days into the invasion. nine days, but uh, occupation of Poland lasted nearly six years. You see, it is very difficult to compare German occupation of Poland and then German occupation of other European countries. Poland lost approximately 17% of its inhabitants. About uh, 34, 5 million people live in this country. Between 5 to 6 million didn't survive. So the situation without comparison in occupied Europe. Poland lost, for example, about 10 times more people than France, much bigger country than Poland, also occupied by Germany. Only Warsaw lost more inhabitants than Great Britain or the USA during the Second World War. So let's talk about some of these terror aspects, because <clears throat> Poland was was completely engulfed in, in terror, wasn't it? Just imagine that only three first months of occupation, Germans executed about, by shooting, about 40,000 Poles or at least 40,000 Polish people, Polish and uh, Jewish inhabitants, only in the northern and western part of Poland, which was incorporated to Germany. For comparison, the first execution occupied uh, Holland took place on the 3rd of March, the 3rd of, yes, March 1941. It means 10 months after invasion of uh, the Netherlands by, by, by Nazi Germany. So finally, between Five till six million Polish inhabitants perished, but at least three million of them had Jewish origin. Because you see, Poland till the end of 1939 was the world center of Jewish life in diaspora. More than 30% of all European Jews lived in uh, Poland before the war. And most of them lived in um, small uh, towns called Shtetl, where 80-90% inhabitants were Jewish people. They cultivated tradition, religion. They were traditional Jews. For that, Poland, well, not the USA, where a little more Jewish people lived already before the war, was the world center of Jewish life in diaspora and the world of Polish Jews was completely destroyed because about 90% of all Polish uh, of uh, Jewish inhabitants of Poland uh, perished during Holocaust time they uh, perished in the first they were killed we can see in the first kill in the gas chambers which were established specially for them in Treblinka, Belzec, Sobibor and Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. 
That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Sticking on the subject of terror, I want to just briefly touch on the policing hour, which was introduced in very, very quickly. And it, the policing hour changed over the time of the occupation, but it originally started that between seven o'clock in the evening and five o'clock in the morning, you weren't allowed to leave your house. This obviously moved to eight o'clock and then nine o'clock eventually. And just a bit of a personal story here. My grandmother's friend, he unfortunately fell victim to this. He was late coming off of a train, which wasn't his fault. The Germans followed his footsteps in the snow, knocked on his door and shot him on his front doorstep. He, he never had a chance. But this is what occupation, the brutal side of occupation was really like. And then we move on to, uh, to arrests. I mean, there's so many things that are happening in Poland at this time. Uh, you see, thousands of people were at the same time a part of those who were killed in executions. Thousands of people were arrested, prisoners in concentration camps, in uh, prisons, or as you know, most of the prisoners of the concentration camps on German territory were ethnic Poles. This is this is interesting and shocking. Uh, and uh, of course, you have mentioned about police uh, policing hour, but it was one of many many chicaneries against Poles, you know. But of course, uh, camps and prisons in Germany are. Poland very quickly became overwhelmed so the Nazis decided to build to open the new concentration camp just for Polish people but we should remember that in fact the first concentration camp for Poles and the first Nazi German concentration camp was set up out of the border of borders of Germany was Stutthof by Gdańsk. Stutthof, Kail Stutthof was opened already or was established already on the second day of the war It was set up special for Polish inhabitants of northern Poland. Officially, Stutthof became a concentration camp in 1942, but from the very beginning as a penal prison, it fulfilled the same function like concentration camp. Uh, finally, Nazis started to look for the new site for the establishment of the new concentration camp. Finally, they chosen a small town located on the border between Poland and general government. The town was called Oświęcim in German Auschwitz. At the beginning, they planned to open the camp in another town located three kilometers, thirty kilometers away, north from Oświęcim. But finally, they settled on locate the camp in former army barracks on the outskirts of the town of Oświęcim. Mirek, you're from Oświęcim. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of, of the town? Well, this. Uh, a small town at the time before the war it was about 14,000 inhabitants but this town which is more than 800 or nearly 850 years old written history one of the oldest castles and towns in the, this part of Poland which was established by the first Polish uh, Piast dynasty what is interesting um, in 1939 about 60% of inhabitants of Oświęcim were Jewish people and uh, I have to say that Auschwitz uh, or Oświęcim before the war was example of symbiosis between two ethnic groups who lived the same uh, side but of course Auschwitz wasn't typical a shtetl uh, town has a long tradition it was capital of duchy which uh, never belonged to germany part of uh, the second world war time during uh, partition of poland uh, oświęcim belonged to austrian empire and in fact oświęcim was the border between austria and uh, prussia at the time its uh, german name was auschwitz because already 
1312, the first time German version of the, of the name of the town was put down on the parchment. Later in 17th century, town uh, a little bit collapsed because of sequence of wars which crossed Polish-Lithuanian kingdom. I would highly recommend if anybody is ever in the area or comes to visit Auschwitz, you make a stop to the old town where they've got a very small museum in the town hall. And it's an absolutely fantastic, I highly recommend going there, where you get to learn more about the city, the town of Oshvinchim, rather than just what it's known for around the world, which is Auschwitz. Because it was a quite a bustling, um, exciting little town, wasn't it? Yes, and uh, of course now it is also a camp which has you known problems, about 40,000 inhabitants, but of course we can say town lives now in the shadow of a sad history which happened here during uh, five years of Auschwitz operating. Okay, so let's go back to the concentration camp side. So Konzentrationslager Auschwitz, it's set up in the same model that the German concentration camps were. So, for example, Sachsenhausen and Dachau. And it was organized by Rudolf Huss. So Rudolf Huss becomes the first commandant of Auschwitz. He arrives at the end of April. Why Why here? Why in the town of Oshvinshim? Well, first of all, we've already mentioned that uh, Oshvinshim died on the border between Upper Silesia and Lesser Poland. There was also former Polish army barracks that were located there. This was a costing saving measure. The town was quite well developed. The railway junction was incredibly well developed because of its location. And also, I would advise you all to have a look on a map where the main camp Auschwitz one is located. It is surrounded by two rivers, the River Soa and the River Wiswa. It is quite isolated and it isolated in a natural way. But I mean, I want to jump in here because being an experienced tour guide, you've come across so many different questions and so many different things. And even I've been affected by this a little bit when I discuss my own research with people. People come to Auschwitz, they come to Birkenau, for example, and they see new houses. They see, or not necessarily new houses, but they see houses. They see a town, they see things happening. It's not as isolated as it was back in 1940. So tell us a little bit about this. Tell us about your experience when it comes down to this. Yeah, you see, really many times I saw uh, the visitors who came visit Auschwitz, which uh, who were shocked when they realized that the camp is located inside the town. And nearby the camp Birkenau is uh, the new built uh, Brzezinka village. Uh, you see, maybe they thought, how this uh, heartless, or maybe they think in their way as follows, how that heterous uh, locals build their houses in so awful place. People are shocked because when they maybe they, when they thought earlier about Auschwitz, they imagined that uh, such awful, tragic place be located only in uh, you see depth of four huge forest or in depopulated uh, desert. But no, Auschwitz was set up in the town. You see, uh, Auschwitz, of course, the army barracks where camp was opened. Uh, they were located on the outskirts of the town, by surrounded by uh, many wooden barracks. It was a special settlement for refugees from the Czech uh, borders, which was see, annexed to Czechoslovakia in 1919. So it was so-called um, Osada Barakova, a part of so- Osada Barakova. There were many other um, living houses around the camp, so the area was populated. 
but of course most of the uh, or nearly all of the buildings from neighborhood were later dismantled on SS order. This is a thing we've got to address a little bit more because these people ended up losing everything. Their homes, their possessions, some even ended up losing their lives. I think it's something we've seriously got to address in another in another episode. But all of this actually starts with the escape of Tadeusz Wieowski from the first transport, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Even more, try imagine that a few days after escape of Wieowski, commandant of the camp, Rudolf Hus, he wrote a letter to his authorities and he, he, in which he, in a historical way, asked to expel all inhabitants of the neighborhood of the, the town, the districts of the town called Zasole, because he mentioned about, uh, he, he put it down the way as follows, if somebody will cross the fence of the camp, he will be instantly held by fanatically um, the Polish inhabitants of the neighborhood. And really, a few weeks later, the first locals were expelled, and finally all inhabitants from the neighborhood of the camp were expelled during one year. In 1941, also inhabitants of the villages were expelled. But this is a topic for the next episode. Mirek, didn't you want to ask me something extra? Because clearly I forget things when I podcast. Uh, coming back to something you said previously, can you define for our listeners the importance of Upper and Lesser Silesia, uh, Lesser Poland? Sorry, Upper Silesia was incorporated into the Third Reich, and Lesser Poland was incorporated into the general government. So they were two different places. And Oshvin, the town of Oshvinchim, was located in the Third Reich in the province of Upper Silesia. Yes, but historically, Poland, uh, Oświęcim belonged to Upper Silesia, but it was a part of Lesser Poland, which was incorporated to Germany. Yes. Uh, but uh, important is the town lies on the border, so they, they intended at the beginning to, the, to, to imprison in Auschwitz, first of all, inhabitants of these two um, regions of Poland. So let's get to the point, because mm-hmm. Hus arrives in Auschwitz um, at the end of April, Himmler also makes the same decision that Auschwitz is to become the new concentration camp to send imprisoned Poles to at roughly the same time. And because it is, it's built for 10,000 Polish prisoners at this time. So Hess becomes the first commandant of Auschwitz and he brings with him a group of SS men from Sachsenhausen, where he was from originally as well. The men, the SS men, then end up setting up Auschwitz on the same pattern as Sachsenhausen. But with him, he also ends up bringing 30 prisoners that end up being the first couple. They end up being the first... Supervisors. Supervisors, thank you very much. Supervisors of Auschwitz. They're functionary prisoners. They end up supervising work details. They also become block leaders and various different functions in that sense and they're supposed to be the cruelest of the cruelest as described by one of the one of the ss men and i'm going to throw this in because we are going to talk about couple in a, in a, in a future podcast however and we have to talk about two of the men because one of them for me otto kuzel prison number two is an angel and he did some absolutely incredible things like he escaped with polish prisoners and I believe, in my own opinion, I believe that he actually ended up saving a, a lot of lives when he was based in the camp. But on the flip side, we've got prisoner number one, Bruno Brodniewicz. Just a note, he wasn't Polish, he was German, because they were 30 German criminals. 
And he was just one of the most brutal, sadistic people. And we're going to cover exactly what this sadist did. And some of the things are just absolute. They're just unbelievable. The, the, am I right, Bilek? He's just he's a sadist. Uh, yes, but come back to Otto Kuzel. You see, I met many. I've met many survivors or many many testimonies. I never met somebody who said any bad word about uh, Otto Kuzel. He was really angel in the in the camp. Brodnievich was completely different, based in human skin. Really, I mean, all of them. They weren't all. It's it's such a difficult subject to talk about. Which we are going to talk about. It's not so black and white, as a lot of people believe. There wasn't good and bad. There was. Camp life, basically, wasn't there? Yeah. Alina, you forgotten uh, the date of arrival of the transport of criminals. It was May 20th, of course, 1940. Just to add, um, at the same time where the first criminals arrived to Auschwitz, about 300 Polish prisoners from Camp Sachsenhausen arrived to Auschwitz also, and they started to uh, prepare the former army barracks to the new function. They mended the measures caused by air raids, uh, which destroyed part of future camps arrest, famous or unfamous death block. At the same time, about 200 uh, Jewish men from the town were also employed, uh, or they were forced to prepare the former army barracks to the new function. Prisoners from Sachsenhausen built also the first fence of the uh, future camp. So, the 14th of June. 1940, an important but incredibly tragic day. Mirek, tell us why. Yeah, it was uh, really very, very tragic day because we can say the hell on the earth was open that day because the first transport of Polish political prisoners, 728 uh, Polish men, um, were uh, registered in camp's evidence. But June 14 was also very important because of the fact that it was the day of big triumph of Germany because the same day German army entered Paris. For Poles who hoped for in the German invasion and British invasion of Germany uh, became the very, very dark time. Uh, Polish people used to say Bilet of Josny, it means till, till spring, till spring. Uh, it didn't but, come, did it? Yes, the, the, yes, everything collapsed. But you see, Polish people didn't collapse, you know, the resistance movement uh, underground states started to be created. So, but this for the next. I just want to add into this before we do finish is that we did also have a handful of Polish Jews on this transport. Mm -hmm. And it is something that we are going to talk about next week because we're going to be talking about the first transports, not just the first transport, but the first transports. We're going to be talking about life in the camp. We're going to be talking about arrival, how they fared, how they survived, what they did to survive. We'll probably talk about also the first escape, which is incredibly important within the camp life. Yeah. So thank you very much, everyone, for joining us. And we will see you in about a month's time. Thank you. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 